You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking Rates and Lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, good evening, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us tonight. This is Rico Muhammad coming to you live from Columbia, South Carolina tonight. Uh, we have our special guest, Mr. Hank Seaton, is on the line with us. He'll be joining us here in just a few minutes. So if you have any kind of legal transportation questions, now will be an excellent time to go ahead and jump in the queue. You can press the number one. We can get your call screened. We'll be right over to you to get you up and on board so that you can get your questions in to Hank or either myself. Uh, there's a ton of information that we uh, want to try to get to tonight. Hopefully we'll be able to get to everything. And we'll start out tonight, as we normally do, we'll jump into this week's USDA truck rate report coming in from uh, the United States Department of Agriculture. The uh, report this week has a little bit of movement, and the markets that are there are only two markets on this particular report that are showing slight shortages in trucks. And those areas are south, southeast Missouri and southwest Indiana, southwest Illinois. And now more probably you need to be more aware, and this is, you're working the spot market, you have to be more sensitive and more aware of uh, low-to-truck ratios than ever before because that's going to make all of the difference when trying to negotiate a halfway decent rate. These uh, um, I've been seeing a little bit of, of stuff that's been going on in the spot market since I've been back out here a little bit dealing a little bit on the spot market, and uh, I tell you, it's it's been really difficult to try to negotiate a, a a really good rate or even a halfway decent rate. Some of the rates that I've seen uh, some of the guys trying to get uh, material hauled for, it's almost, uh, it's almost downright disrespectful. But at the same time, you know, it's a free market, and you have to be aware that um, – Unfortunately, we got to try to work harder to try to get more of this industry educated to understand what their costs are so that people are not just um, putting freight on the truck just to move the truck. And I think that we have a little bit of that going on, and I understand that there's been a lot of pressure from shippers to try to keep rates depressed as well. They're not uh, been so much so willing to budge so much on the rates here lately. Um so it's it's one of those issues where we gotta uh, educate ourselves and make sure that we're doing what we need to do to try to hold out to make sure that we try to get the rates at least uh, to be able to to be a profitable rate the way you can cover your operating costs and, and still be able to put some money to the bottom line to uh, continue to run your operation. So those areas uh, that I spoke of, Southeast Missouri, Southwest Indiana, Southeast Illinois, those are the only areas that are showing a slight shortage of trucks. The other areas, uh, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, hold on one second. I got a technical problem going on. Hold on one second. Our special guest was calling me on the other line. It seems to have dropped off on the line that we had him on, so we'll get him uh, plugged back in here in just a second. We'll get him plugged in, and now let's jump back into the DAT trend lines report. Going in for this week, the week of July 17th through the 23rd, spot market demand and rates drifted down again last week for vans, reefers, and a typical trend for mid-July, flatbed rates edged upwards. Uh, so let's jump into and look into a little bit deeper portion of the report, beginning with the U.S. National van, drive van, demand and capacity version of the report. Van postings fell 5% last week while truck postings remained the same. That resulted in a 5% decline in the load to truck ratios from 2.6 down to 2.5 loads per truck. The national average van rate slipped 1 cents per mile compared to the previous week. June loads had surged by 49%. Load postings surged 49% in June compared to May. The truck postings declined 8.7% for a 63% boom 
in the load-to-truck ratio. The ratio jumped from 1.8 to 2.9 loads per truck compared to June of 2015. The ratio was up by 22% higher. It was, was up 22% higher. This is first year-over-year year increase in 2016 to date. So that's a little bit of good news as far as the drive-ins are concerned. Uh, national diesel prices were down slightly. National average diesel price was $2.38 per gallon. Let's jump into the U.S. van demand rate portion of the report. Let's see how the rates were performing over the week of July the 17th through July 23rd. Last week, the national average van rates slipped by one cent down to $1.65 per mile on average after peaking at $1.70 per mile the last two weeks. Down rates were higher in Denver and Buffalo, but declined in Atlanta and Chicago. So taking a look around the country, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, we have Philadelphia, Pennsylvania checking in, showing average rates of drive vans at $1.58 per mile. Down in Atlanta, Georgia, we have drive van rates checking in on the spot market at $1.89 per mile. Moving into the Midwestern portion of the United States, Chicago, Illinois checks in, showing drive van rates at $1.88 per mile. Dallas, Texas is the south central portion of the United States city representative showing average rates at $1.58 per mile for dry vans. And out west, the City of Angels, Los Angeles, California, checks in, setting the benchmark for dry vans, showing $2.11 per mile on average coming out of the west coast portion of the United States. Moving right along, jumping over into the U.S. flatbed demand and capacity report for the week of the 17th through the 23rd. Flatbed load posting slipped by 5% last week, while truck postings declined 7%. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to increase by 3.7. I mean, I'm sorry, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. 40 and slip up from 13.4 to 13.7 loads per truck. The national average flatbed rate increased by two cents per mile over the week, over the past week. We have Flatbed load availability has rose in June by 11%. Compared to May, the capacity rose by 3.3%, yielding a 7.5 increase in the national load-to-truck ratio to 18.1 loads per truck compared to June of 2015. The load declined. The loads have declined 8.4%, and the ratio has fallen by 20%. Moving right along into the U.S. flatbed rates report for the previous week of July 17th through the 23rd. National average flatbed rates increased two cents last week up to $1.89 per mile. That's six cents below the average rate for June. And taking a look around the country, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, we have Harrisburg checking in showing an average rate of $3.01 per mile. Down in the southeastern portion of the United States, we have Atlanta, Georgia checking in, showing average rates of $2.22 per mile. Moving into the Midwestern portion of the United States, we have Rock Island checking in, showing average rates at $2.37 per mile. Down in the south-central portion of the United States, Houston, Texas checking in, showing flatbed, flatbed spot market rates at $2.03 per mile. And moving out west to the west coast, Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona checks in, showing average rates for flatbeds at $1.85 per mile. Jumping on over into the reefer demand and capacity report, reefer load postings dropped by 8% last week while truck postings held steady, causing an 8% drop and the load-to-truck ratio from 4.7 down to 4.3 loads per truck. The national average spot market rate for reefers also fell $0.02 cents compared to the previous week. Reefer load availability rocketed up to by 49% in June compared to May. The truck postings declined by 9.5%. That gave the load-to-truck ratio a 65% boost for the month from 3.5 up to 5.7 loads per truck compared to June of 2015. 
the ratio has edged down by 2.9% since that time period. Jumping over into the U.S. reefer rates for the previous week, the national average rate for reefers has slipped two cents down to $1.96 per mile on average last week after reaching this year's peak of $2.02 per mile. Rates were on the rise in Chicago and Dallas but fell in California. Checking out the rates around the country, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, Elizabeth, New Jersey, checking in, showing average rates on the spot market at $1.67 per mile. Lakeland, Florida checks in, showing average rates coming out of Lakeland at $1.33 per mile. Moving into the Midwestern portion of the United States, Green Bay, Wisconsin, setting the high water mark in the benchmark for spot market freight at $2.50 per mile. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, we have McAllen, Texas, checking in, showing average rates on the spot market at $1.79 per mile. Out west, Fresno, California, checks in, showing average reefer rates at $2.05 per mile. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up the EAP trend lines report for this week. And really quickly, we'll jump over into the good, bad, and ugly brokers list this week. We had a couple of uh, new companies making a debut on the list. Um, as I said this before, this list comes as cur- as comes off of the uh, truckstop.com. It's part of their uh, portion on their website. So if you have truckstop.com, if you subscribe to their highest level, uh, you will also have access to this report. Uh, this report, let's see, we have Freight Trans LLC. MC number 747688 is reported to have over $19,000 in non-payment complaints reported. Olive Trucking, Inc., MC number is 517303. Trust fund was canceled. This broker also has common ownership in Olive Trucking, MC number 272223. These brokerages have unpaid carrier invoices that collectively exceed over $18,000. Extreme risk. Uh, hold on a second, ladies and gentlemen. We have our guests dropped out again. That, ladies and gentlemen, we seem to be having a little bit of a technical problem getting, making sure that we got. Uh, that we got Hank plugged in, so we're going to try to make sure that we got that resolved. Just give me one second. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I apologize about that. We got we got Hank back in and up and on board. Um, and we'll jump right back into finishing up this uh, good, bad, and ugly truckers uh, brokers list. Uh, we were we were on Olive's Trucking LLC. That MC number again is seven two seven two 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 three. They also have a different brokerage. They have over eighteen thousand dollars in unpaid carrier invoices. The other uh, MC number that is associated with that brokerage. It's 517-303, Olive Trucking LLC and Olive Trucking Inc. So be on the lookout for any of those we have. Next up on the list is ITL Logistics LLC. MC number is 944066, over $11,000 in non-payment complaints. Network FOB, uh, this is a big one. Uh, I've seen this one on a couple of different, couple of different reports, this Network FOB. 71316 uh, has received and continues to receive large volumes of non-payment complaints against Network FOB's brokerage division. That MC number is 292556. And against their freight forwarders division, MC number 001941, resulting in the suspension of their access to truckstop.com website and efforts to protect our carrier clients 
there are reports of past due carrier invoices that collectively exceed over $545,000 in non-payment complaints that are being submitted daily. There are also reports that they have resurfaced as another freight forwarder operating as Interlog USA, C uh, Freight Forwarders MC number is 004677, Extreme Risk. So make sure that you guys definitely have this one flagged in your, uh, on your list. ANS Logistics, Inc., ANS Logistics Inc. MC number is nine four three four four two. Trust fund is canceled. Over seven thousand dollars in non-payment complaints have been reported. Overland Express LLC MC number is five one five seven nine zero. Over twenty thousand dollars in non-payment complaints have been reported. That, ladies and gentlemen, wraps up the list for this week. Uh, unfortunately, this list seems to be growing uh, every week. So make sure that you're doing your due diligence before you put someone's freight on your truck. Make sure that you're doing the small things that we always talk about, making sure that you're um that you are listed as the carrier of record on your own all bill of ladings and uh make sure that you are protecting your own interests, doing background checks. If you have a factoring company, uh know that that's kind of that you know, we kinda of try to get everyone to make sure that they are Doing the things that they need to do, not to uh, not to have to factor their bills. But if you have a factoring company, make sure you're utilizing your factoring company's uh, credit check uh, ability to be able to check credit for uh, anyone that's out there that you may be uh, dealing with. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, no further ado, let's go ahead and grab our special guest for this week. Mr. Hank Seaton is joining us tonight. Hank, how are you doing? Are you there? I am here. Good to be with you. Good deal. Yes, sir. We appreciate it. We appreciate it. Seems to be a lot of uh, uh, that bad brokers list seems to be growing on us uh, every week. There seems to be some new uh, new additions there. Um, and this one, uh, um, that network FOV. I don't know if you're if you're seeing anything on your end on any of that stuff, but uh, that seems to be a real bad actor right there. Yeah, I have a, a collection shop. Uh, called Transportation Revenue Management that kind of runs itself, but we handle bad debt collection for carriers. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that they've heard of it. I've certainly heard of Network FOB, but I didn't know of particular problems uh, uh, with them. That doesn't mean there aren't any. I think the indicia is uh, of, of bad debts is probably nothing new. I really haven't seen it be abated much by the $75,000 bond requirement. I'd be interested in the listeners' comments about any difficulty they've had on filing on bonds. That seems to be uh, an issue. I've been contacted by some folks that say there are several bonding companies that just make it virtually impossible to collect on the $75,000 bond, even to the point that they're looking at collective actions against uh, bonding and bank trust companies. Uh, but in any event, I don't think that uh, the $75,000 bond has put a, a, a crimp in the, in the bad debt problems. If anything, I think it, it still is, uh, is bad. And I think uh, uh, double brokerage and uh, theft of, uh, of cargo by uh, middleman scams is just as bad in 2016 as it was in 2006. And it's really nothing new. It's a, it's an issue that uh, I've been dealing with since uh, deregulation came in in 19, 1983 or so. In fact, back in uh, uh, back in those early days uh, when uh, would you think we were just beginning to talk about cable TV? CNN ran an expose on uh, broker scams, uh, particularly in California and. Uh, that was my my first time on national TV, but in any wow. event, uh, it's uh, uh, you know we think back to the to the 1986 or so. Uh, what is that? Uh, getting on being 35 years ago, 30 years ago. it's it's a systemic problem, and it and it grows primarily out of the out of the internet, and when people got out of their comfort zone and started uh, 
going across country and having to take a, a load to come home from a guy named Sid. And it, it didn't have a way to really check them out. That's all an issue that I'd like to see addressed. Uh, I've got some ideas about how it might be addressed. And if anybody wants to talk about that tonight, we can too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and, and one of the things that's, that's definitely been going on, there's been a um, – I wanted to try to get into some of the things that you was, that we talked about a little earlier that you, you know, some of the things that we may need to be made aware of that may be coming down the pike as far as regulations and stuff like that is concerned. But uh, um, especially out here, a lot of guys that are operating out here on the spot market, you know, it, it's been really more and more difficult, uh, tough sledding trying to negotiate decent rates. And um, one of the issues that it, with that being at the case, you know, it's, you're getting getting hemmed up by getting uh, difficult rates on negotiating, and you may want to be seeing your antenna up if you're getting a rate that may be a little bit too good to be true, uh, without without a, a lot of uh, a lot of pushback or anything, or a lot, without a lot of haggling. That may be a telltale sign that you might want to uh, make sure that you're doing a thorough uh, background check and investigation on that particular uh, broker before you put that freight on your truck. Um, yeah, and, and besides from you're some, absolutely right. The guys, the guys that don't intend to pay you will offer you whatever it takes to get you to pull under it. Right, right. And and for and for uh, no, I talked about I, I said about making sure that we are, you know, carry a record and all that good stuff. But what are some other other countermeasures that uh that we definitely might need to be aware of to make sure that we're doing out here to protect ourselves on those things. Well, I think the first thing is to uh, check the FMCSA uh, directory and be sure uh, you correspond with the uh, uh, the broker at the address shown on the uh, uh, directory. If somebody is practicing fraud, uh, lots of times you'll get a call and he'll say he's ABC broker and he isn't. Uh, that's identity theft. So one thing is whether you're brokering freight or accepting freight, uh, be sure you know who you're dealing with and uh, send your load confirmation or, uh, to the carrier or broker that you're dealing with. Uh, I've uh, encountered a number of recent situations in which uh, when you got to the bottom of the barrel, somebody's identity had been checked, and that's largely because the broker or the carrier was communicating with a fraudster. So uh, just uh, uh, knowing that you're corresponding with the company on the website helps. Being sure that they have the broker bond in place helps. Uh, it also uh, helps to instruct your drivers to look carefully at the bill of lading. I just talked to a, uh, a guy tonight who was getting dunned by some uh, – collection agent who said he represented a carrier and when we pulled out the bills of lading on the four bills that the collection agent was banging up on they had three different carriers saying so you know the question was obviously uh, uh, the loads had been double and triple brokered uh, you know the again like wow. I can't stress enough that the bill of lading is the contract of carriage and if you're going to accept responsibility for the load and you think your insurance is going to apply to it and you think you've got a chance of getting paid, be sure that you write your name on the bill of lading. And anybody who tells you to go in and pick up the load under somebody else's name, it's a buyer beware. A lot of brokers take the position that they won't give freight to motor carriers who don't have three three months of hi three years of history, uh, I think carriers should look at the longevity of the of the broker as well. And there are, of course, uh, reporting services that you can subscribe to that check broker credit. Uh, I, I'm not sure that I would recommend uh, that you use collection agents call boards because uh, they're, they're trolling for bad debts, but uh, uh, People like uh, uh, Ansonia Credit and, and CompuNet, and, uh, for those people who are, who are factoring, and I don't recommend factoring because it costs you money, 
but uh, a good factor will, in fact, uh, uh, help you stay clear because they've got the best information going on carriers that don't, on brokers that don't pay their bills. Right. Right, and that's why I was saying if, if you if you are factoring, make sure that you're utilizing that portion of the service of your factor. I mean, at least get some get some kind of uh, bang for your buck, other than being able to get uh, get your, your your receivables funded in a, in, a, in a quick turnaround. Use that portion yeah, of it to make I sure mean, that you're not having to pay it, pay most, for the pay for more on the back end on, on that interest rate. Yeah, most most legitimate factors. Uh, a lot of them say, look, if, you're, if your uh, account debtor doesn't pay in 60 days, we're going to deduct that from your freight charges, which can be a, a, a real hell of a deal if for some reason it doesn't get paid timely. But by and large, the respectable factors say that uh, their bad debt ratios are extremely low, and some of them will even extend uh, non-recourse financing. Uh, to blue chip people, which you know you think uh, uh, is is an added help because it's really a spiral of death for a small carrier who's already factoring to have the factor call him up and say, uh, Joe, you're not going to get paid for the next two weeks because we're back charging you uh, for this broker who hasn't paid his freight charges on time for reasons we can't discern. So you know. Uh, I think uh, in the factoring arrangement, you really need to find out what their attitude is towards taking recourse because that can bankrupt you. If you have to go to a factor, you're working off your cash flow anyway. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and don't just – and just a word to the wise, if you are using a factoring company, don't just depend on the factoring company to do, to do all of your collection. You still need to be on top of that. Make sure that those people that you've been pulling freight for, especially if you have the recourse factoring, that you make sure that they are paying within the 30 days so that you're not getting hammered with uh, extra interest and penalties for any time the uh, uh, invoice goes beyond 30 days. Usually that interest rate is going to jump up uh, a couple of more percentage points. So make sure that you're being on top of that, that you're watching that, and that you, you're, you're, uh, if you're utilizing that service, that you're paying at least for it as possible versus, uh, you know, yeah. well, I've already got the You're money going, and, and, and just just kind of forget about it. Rico, the small carrier is going to end, who's factoring is going to end up eating that 60-day bill for one of two reasons. Right. Uh, one of three reasons. Maybe the broker uh, or maybe the factor is not sending out first and second collections and it got lost in the, in the, uh, uh, in the wash. Chances are it's for one or two reasons. One reason being that uh, the broker has got a case of the shorts and is delaying his payment and there's blood in the water. And the other issue is because the carrier has signed a bad agreement that allows the broker to withhold if there is a whiff of a cargo claim. So you will find brokers who uh, say, well, the bill of lading said, uh, one carton damaged, and we're going to hold your money for nine months to see if a cargo claim is filed. So that's another abusive procedure that uh, it pays good sense to uh, to track. There's some brokers who are notorious for that, and it's broken many a small carrier. And you you need to, uh, you know, that's one of my dirty dozen. Don't permit in a uh, uh, in a broker agreement the broker to offset cargo claims against freight charges because uh, by the time you get that resolved, you can be bankrupt. Right. And I, I, we got a couple of people that's got some questions in, our, in the lines. We got a lot of people on the lines tonight. If you got a question, you go ahead and press number one. That way we want to make sure we go ahead and get your question answered, whether it's on this topic or anything at all. Uh, you can go ahead and press number one. We'll come directly to you here in just a second. Um I've got someone call screener. If you don't mind, go back and check on that 803 phone number that's, that you got no answer on. Just check and make sure that they don't have a question. And with that said, we'll go and grab Donna. Donna has a question for us. Hank, let's go grab her and see what she has to say tonight. Donna, you're up live with Rico and Hank. How can we help? I've got a question. Um, I have a direct customer, and I'm, I'm. you have to set up as a vendor with them. Well, 
what would happen, or is there a legal way to handle if, say, they have a couple of different loads, and I, I can only handle one, and they are okay with me giving another load to another carrier who runs under their own authority, but they're not set up as a vendor, so the billing would have to go through me. Is that legal, or is there a way to make Uh-oh. that legal? No, uh, there really isn't uh, uh, because you're getting mighty damn close to being a broker. Uh, a broker is someone who handles, who bills and collects freight charges uh, and who's in it for profit. Now, I'm assuming that you're going to mark up your business a little bit. No, no, I'm that, not actually because I actually got the customer from the other person. person. Yes. Well, I don't see how in the world uh, uh, your your shipper can knowingly do that. Uh, you know, why is it that he doesn't set the other guy up as a vendor? Well, this is – okay, so what it is is if the company – the person is a vendor right now, but the company has changed a policy and at the corporate level to where this individual – does not qualify to be a vendor because they're an ex-employee and and they just changed the rules to where you have to be an ex-employee for over a year before you can be a vendor. So the people who he currently is dealing with who give him the loads are saying, well, why don't you just bill it through my company? You know, they're fine with him hauling the freight. And so they're the ones who are suggesting, well, how about you keep hauling it but we'll just bill it through, you know, through well, my Well, but, you know, you're really, you're really conspiring with employees of the company to violate company policies. If company well, policies yeah. say, if company policies say that this guy uh, shouldn't be uh, handling the freight for a year. Well, they're, they year actually now, aren't even saying that. He just can't be an approved vendor. I, I understand what you're saying. But no, they're saying. the same thing. Yeah. They're the same yeah. thing. If he can't, if he can't provide an approved vendor, means he can't provide service to him for a year. Now, what I what I fear is happening is if you go in there and deceive management by putting your name on the bill of lading, uh, the reason they've got this uh, a year in their contract with him is because they don't want him going in and getting uh, buddy deals on the side. And you don't need to be part of that. If you're not being paid for it, uh, you're, you're asked in some sense. There's a, there's, a, there's a statute. It's called the Truth in Billing Statute. And, uh, okay. you know, it, it basically uh, uh, is kind of a, of, a, of, a, of a best business practice. But I, I'm sure in the truth of billing practices, you can't come in and represent yourself as a carrier of record if you aren't. Okay. Moreover, so, so it's really, not only can so you it, not, okay. not only can you not, if you're an approved vendor, you sign an agreement with them, undoubtedly saying that you'll indemnify and hold them harmless uh, if you hit a school bus. Now, you know, if if they think their deal is with you and this guy that you're not getting any money from hits a school bus, they're going to come to you to indemnify them for his acts or omissions. And at that point, you're going to say, well, I was just doing it as a courtesy because I was trying to violate your uh, – because I was a knowing participant in violating your credit terms. Uh, if I were a shipper in that situation, I'd kick you out and probably uh, uh, say that, you know, somehow you're held liable for the accident. Recognize now that your insurance covers only your units. So right. this guy right. who's just, so. getting, just getting started has uh, – has a, a, a multi-fatality accident, now you're in the loop. I mean, it's just, uh, uh, I mean, I so understand. That's, and that's really what I was, yeah, and that's what I was wondering about was the, the like, the insurance aspect of it as well, because I didn't know, because, like I said, he has his own insurance. I mean, he's actually, I actually got the customer through him, and then they changed their policy, but, so, so he actually has had his own authority for since the 80s. Um, he, he's not a new carrier, um, but so that, and that's one of the things that I was concerned about. I didn't know how insurance would well, work. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the more the more you talk, 
the more uh, the more and, and and certainly don't take offense at this, but the more it sounds like you got the business through his efforts, and and that's the quid pro quo that you're getting loaded, uh, in part because this former employee knows the right person, and that one year hiatus on back soliciting is intended or uh, uh, for doing business with him is like a back solicitation agreement. It's supposed to uh, uh, bar him from using his contacts with the company for a period of the year to uh, to be a vendor, either directly or indirectly. So, I mean, I think if somebody were to look at it closely, they might say, well, look, you know, you were getting your loads uh, uh, because of his relationship with the shipper so long as uh, you allowed your name to be used as a uh, uh, as a stalking horse for him giving getting freight direct he otherwise couldn't get. See what I'm saying? It's kind of it kind of kind of smells like a conspiracy. I'm sure you yeah. don't intend to do, but it, no, it, it doesn't no, pass like I said, it, pass it, it smell not, test. Uh-huh. And like I said, I mean, the, you know, the irony is that it, they're the ones who are actually suggesting. You know, because they, you know, the the people here. I mean, it's it's a it's a worldwide company. You know, and this is a decision made, you know, in another state. You know, maybe in another country. And and so the people who he works with, you know, want him to be able to keep doing this. And so they're the ones who actually said, well, why? You know, they don't understand the FMCSA side of it, and they're the ones who are actually saying, well, why don't we just do it this way? You know. Well, I mean, so, I guess uh, I guess the yeah. question is, well, yeah. The way they want to do it really isn't correct. Okay. But if you're telling me, let's say the guy's, let's say the guy is, is Rico's Express, and if he was doing business with them while he was uh, as Rico's Express while he was working for the company, uh, the question mm-hmm. becomes: All those years was he violating company policy? It would seem to me that if the company had approved uh, him being well, on staff, well, they changed staff, their policy only, is what's happened. They, they, you know, they changed their policy, and and it has to do with all of the, uh, you know, like with the people being on that fine line between being a because he also used to work for the company as well. He used to be a paid employee, but he was also a contractor. So what they've done is they've said you can no longer do both, and now the new rule is somebody has to not be an employee for a year before they can become a vendor. So it's it's just them changing well, their rules. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so anyway. I would I would I would have to look at the documents very clearly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But okay. it appears to me it appears to me if he's Rico Express and he's mm-hmm. coming into the company as Rico Express, but you're billing it, you've already got uh, a, a a potential problem. Uh, if okay. you've got a contract, if you've got a contract with them, and you want to, uh, and your insurance company. Uh, will permit slap your placards on his door and trip lease it. Uh, now you know one could say that that in, in itself is a subterfuge, but at uh-huh. least at that po- at that point, uh, you know you can say, well, I hired him just like I would anybody else, and I got this business as load from you on my own on my own accord, and uh, you know you'd have to kind of look closely at the. Uh, uh, their definitions to see if that makes him a vendor. If you're a qualified vendor and there's nothing in your in your vendor agreement that keeps you from having owner operators, whether they were prior or former employees, then that's at least a way not to be uh, uh, have to explain why his trucks with his name and number are coming into the into the facility or why you were doing this for free. Uh, you know, uh, you'd be making, uh, uh, you know, a bit of a, uh, a bit of a, uh, of a markup. Although the independent contractor agreement, you're free to set his percent of revenue. Uh, I'm just saying the, the way you've done it uh, uh, is is, uh, uh, is is pretty indefensible uh, uh, since you since you know that uh, uh, you're being used uh, to disguise a violation. Of their vendor relations policy. Okay, and, I understand that. Okay. That's my best uh-huh. shot at it, and uh, you know, I, yeah. uh, I've, I've been doing this for a long time, and I've had situations in which 
uh, plant managers, uh, people lower down, uh, uh, even transportation officers for DOD really wanted to use somebody who was in their small town or they went to church right. with them or their brother-in-law. But notwithstanding that family relationship, uh, that tainted relationship, people just provided better service, uh, only to find out that when the upper bosses found out that there was some conspiring between uh, the local plant and the uh, and the carrier, both of them got thrown out on their ears. Wow, interesting. Okay. And that, so, yeah. you know, and, and, yeah. and, and, you know, there's even situations in which uh, a carrier will have an agent in uh, Tecumpe, Iowa, okay, and that agent may wine and dine the traffic manager at the local at the local plant, uh, even to the point of, uh, uh, of buying them gifts and things like that, that management doesn't know a thing about. And then when management finds it out, the fact that the agent was involved in it doesn't, doesn't satisfy major, uh, the management. Management kicks the carrier out, says you were responsible. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. some, some, yeah. contracts, some contracts, sophisticated contracts, have written into them, uh, uh, provisions that says you know you will not uh, uh, you'll, you'll not uh, give a gratuity of any sort to uh, uh, any employee. Uh, you know everything has to go through a blind bidding process, and that's increasingly what you see from these top-down procurement officers. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. One more real quick question that has to do with what y'all are talking about tonight. I actually uh, have an open uh, invoice with Network FOB, and I tried to file on their bond, and it's this is an intrastate load. This was a California to California load, so I was told that the bond is not good for an intrastate load. And they said I needed to check and see if they had a California bond, but I have no idea how to check into that, how you would find that no. out. To my knowledge, I'm not aware of any state that has a bonding requirement for brokers. I'll ask you this. Uh, lots of times what is an interstate load is subject to debate. You may have picked up something in a warehouse and taken it to a uh, 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 another distribution center that began its journey outside the state. So, uh, you know, for example, a, a shipment that uh, Amazon would ship out of Cincinnati to a break bulk facility in Nashville. They got sorted and segregated in Nashville and then delivered to Memphis. Would still be an interstate shipment if you only hauled it from Nashville to Memphis. So look at your destination and origin and be sure that, you know, you might be able to go back to them and say, look, this thing wasn't manufactured in California to go to a California consumer it actually began its journey outside the state, and all it was done was sorted and segregated in L.A. Yeah, no, I, I know this, this. It definitely started in California only because it was I, you. The, basically, the person that that I hauled the loads for was the shipper and the receiver, and what it was was used office furniture being uh, relocated. Okay. Is what it was. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So, yep. Sorry, no, <laughs> okay. no, no, no cigar for that. And, you yeah. know, unfortunately, they are right. There are gaps in that coverage. Uh, you know, some uh, some bonding companies are more zealous about protecting it. One would think that uh, if Network FOB is, is in the tank, they'd interplead the money, and you and everybody else would file a claim that would probably get paid. But I do see that fairly frequently with claimants. Uh, and some of them watch very carefully for it. Gotcha. All righty. I appreciate your help. Can, can she, can, can she, can she go back to the uh, tank? Can, can, she go back and, can she go back and charge the shipper directly for that invoice? Well, I certainly would. I don't know what Network FOB's terms and conditions were, but if her name's on the bill of lading and the constant R uh, did not uh, – uh, well, in this time, the consignor and the consignee are the same. Yes, I think you've got recourse to uh, the furniture people. Okay. 
All righty. Well, I appreciate now, you know, I'd like Thank to see, you. I, uh-huh. Before I gave you a final legal yeah. opinion, I'd like to see what you signed. But if your name is on the bill of lading, uh, I would certainly done the uh, uh, the shipper uh, as quickly as I could. Well, I, I tell you, it's, it's kind of well. I I don't want to get into it. I'm not going to go after the shipper. Uh, there's a reason for it because he and I have ended up doing some different types of business uh, down the road. He's he's in my neighborhood, and uh, so I didn't do any back solicitation, nothing like that. But so I'm not going to go back after him. But um, it's making me pay real close attention to who he uses in the future. I will tell you that. <laughs> so. Oh, anyway. absolutely. And, I mean, you yep. know, let's put it this way. Uh, it, it's probably worth its weight of gold if, as a result of this, you've got him as a direct customer. Well, and that's what happened. And I didn't approach him. I actually went to his facility to buy furniture. He ended up buying my trailer from me and in turn said, oh, hey, by the way, you know, <laughs> can you haul this trailer around for me type of thing. So I haven't really done much with him, but he's a good guy. Um, it wasn't that much money. I'm not going to go after him. Um, but I am, uh, ironically, I'm hauling another load for him right now through a broker. Uh, but I will have a conversation with him well, tomorrow about you, what, that broker. What What I would do if you, uh, you know, I look at look at the contract you signed with the second broker. Be sure you're not locked into a covenant not to compete. But if I knew the guy, well, I'd, I'd go. I'd go what if I had already him. made an agreement with him though, well, to haul freight yeah, prior to you, signing that? Well, yeah, but it, the language of the covenant not to compete is important. I mean, if I'd looked at the covenant not to compete, I would have put an exclusion in there that says does not apply. Uh, you know, usually the language is first handled by you. Uh, gotcha. At first handled together with the broker. But, you know, some brokers say uh, if you pick up this load for GE, you can't claim that you prom- previously had GE as a customer. You can't haul anything for GE for 10 years. So, I mean, oh, you need – you need to look closely at those things. But I guess the other strategy you might have if you're friends with this guy is say, hey, look, you know, I want to talk to you about your use of brokers. Uh, I didn't I didn't done you for it. I don't know if other people have, but Network Freight has basically gone out of business. And, you know, carriers have a right to come to you when the broker doesn't pay. Uh, you know, I think you're best off doing business with carriers direct and I'd be one. So, right. you know, now That's now somebody else is brokering your freight, and uh, they're probably making 20% markup on it. You'd be better off doing business with me direct because then you know it's on my truck, and you know when we when you pay me, you're not going to have anybody come back to you for a claim. So, I mean, that's that's one way, you know, once you can chat that's him up. That's a good point, yes. That I'd yes. say, hey, hey look, that's good. you know, now, now that I've found you and you found me, you shouldn't have to pay 20% to pick up the phone and call me. Right, right. Yep. That's uh that's excellent advice. One of Thank the things one much. of the things I one of the things I'll mention here is uh there I have seen in the past couple of months uh two or three people uh, I don't know whether the network FOB was this way or not, uh but they're basically trying to uh maintain call boards that match services uh for a fee and uh, uh, not don't sign uh, these uh, agreements with uh, shippers that require them to cram down duties on the carriers. They're basically kind of like a, uh, uh, but I want to say ChristianMingle.com. All they want to do is maintain <laughs> a call board that brings together uh, uh, compatible shippers and brokers, uh, or, or shippers and uh, carriers, and lets uh, them negotiate rates. Uh, it looks like it, some of them that I've been running into are kind of like this uh, 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 this crazy cable station where these guys drive around the country and bid on loads because it looks like uh, they're trying to encourage shippers to put shipper freight on the board and bid it down. Now, obviously, you know, in this kind of market, when the, if they get enough people bidding against one another, then people are are going to lose money even participating in it. But the the scheme is to take the uh, abusive broker out of it and maintain a marketplace that will uh, 
let you, uh, uh, you know, from your laptop dial in if you're in Keokuk and see what what freight is moving today from uh, 50 miles of Keokuk back home. And I don't know whether that'll take off or not, but uh, there are a lot of computer types that are uh, that I've learned about that you know are asking for consults on how to come up with standard protocols to make that happen. So you know maybe maybe that is uh, going to make it easier for you to escape the abusive brokers. Uh, and then on the other hand, maybe it's just going to drive down prices as uh, everybody with an empty truck in Keokuk is bidding on the same freight. Yeah. Well, Donna, did you, did, did that get you answered? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I appreciate it. Sure. Good All right, well, we you. appreciate it. Thank you. And, and and if you want, Donna, you can send me an inbox message a little bit later on if you want to get in contact with Hank. Um, offline, I'll, I'll be sure to uh, pass that information on to you if you want to. Want, if you want him to look over any of those uh, contracts that you guys are talking about. Um, well, Hank, it looks like we got about, mm, man, I'll tell you, the hour almost flew by already. We got about eight minutes left in the show. Um, and we didn't even get a chance to get into any of the stuff that you were talking about um, as far well, as. I mean, um, I'm, more than happy, I'm more than happy to answer questions if you've got any. Uh, I do have a couple of issues. Uh, <laughs> that I'm interested in covering. Um, if you if you don't have anybody that's uh, uh, dying to get on, I'll, I'll cover a couple of safety issues just to alert you to them. One is uh, called enhanced investigative techniques. Uh, it appears as though uh, if you're being subject to audit by the FMCSA that uh, uh, they're they're taking a more aggressive stance. Rather than come in and give you a neutral audit, it seems like they're being instructed to come in and find something or stay until they can put you out of business. Uh, I just got a, a, a call today uh, from a, a, a situation in which the agency came in and spent three weeks and couldn't find something, and when the agent came back and said they couldn't find something, uh, they said, well, if you have to give him a satisfactory safety rating, find some way to find him. So they find him $22,000 on a chump charge. Uh, I don't want to say that that's rampant. I don't want to say that uh, it's uh, systemic, but I'm seeing it with increased uh, increased frequency. And if you, uh, if you feel as though you're getting unfairly treated, uh, uh, they're... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to start maintaining a, a list of, of where and how that happens. Uh, I'll redact anybody's name from it, and I promise you the last thing you want to do is be a whistleblower to the agency, but I do need to catalog those things. Uh, I've, got, uh, I've got one report of a particular scale at which uh, the scale inspector is the brother-in-law of a tow company operator, and it just seems like nobody can get by the scale without being put out of service. And I'd like to anecdotally be able to to uh, to to document that. And uh, uh, you know, we have these constant discussions with the agency about the fallacy of the roadside inspection program, and that that needs to be documented. Many of you may know that in opposition to the new safety fitness determination, we said you can't rely on roadside inspections because they aren't an accurate reflection due to big carriers having pre-pass, small carriers being profiled for inspections, and because a lot of inspect, good inspections are not reported. And we did a study, uh, 600 people responded, and the vast majority said yes, they thought that good inspections were not reported. And when they asked uh, for them to be written up, a lot of times they were said, we don't write no damn good inspections. Well, we put that in a study to the agency to say, you know, your your system uh, of roadside inspections for determining safety is all screwy. Well, this last two weeks, uh, the agency is required to uh, take down SMS methodology and to have a two-year study. And at the first meeting of that, CVSA, which is the Commercial Safety uh, Alliance composed of state uh, 
enforcement people came in and said, you're damn right we're not reporting all the good inspections. We're paid to write bad inspections. So, uh, you know, you, you start thinking about it analytically, and you figure that if the police admit that they're not writing good inspections, uh, then uh, how in the world does the agency use the resulting data that compares number of points per inspection as any measure of hard safety? Uh, it's those kinds of, uh, of logical little traps that uh, we're suggesting uh, create problems for using SMS methodology. One, one final issue is there is on the street and ready for comment uh, a new proposal by the FMCSA to determine preventability of accidents. Uh, it's something that the ATA has been lobbying for a long time. Uh, currently, uh, accident preventability is only determined on an audit and uh, the data is not made public information because it's just really difficult to determine whether an accident is preventable. The ATA has been lobbying saying, well, you know, your accident uh, numbers are off by 75% because three-fourths of the accidents are covered by four-wheelers, so why don't you set up a system to call balls and strikes? This uh, new preventability study would do that. Uh, the problem that I have with it for small carriers is if they're then going to publish a list of preventable accidents caused by carriers, plaintiff's bar is going to love it. And in order to keep up with the hounds, you'll have to literally protest every fender bender uh, at a, what we figure will be a minimum material cost of 600 to to $1,000. Then the issue will be decided by a non-legal government employee whose decision will be final. Uh, that, that is a very problematical thing uh, in terms of what it will do to your insurance rates and what it will do to shippers who will then think they have, can look at your crash scores and determine your, your safety fitness. So I think it's a bad idea. I think ultimately small carriers are going to have to uh, rein in uh, uh, opposing it. So those are just uh, some of my hot buttons for our friends at the agency. We're in election year. Uh, I can't predict what they're going to get done by December. Uh, clearly things like uh, speed limiters and ELDs, which are in their final analysis, may very well come through from the end of the year. Uh, I guess we'll be in a brave new world, depending on whether you're a, a Trump or a Hillary fan next year. Uh, but uh, uh, remember, the bureaucrats will continue their policy until stopped. So that's my little screed on uh, on on safety for the evening. Uh, I don't mind uh, running over a couple of minutes if we've got any other questions, Enrico. Definitely uh, appreciate that, that that report there, Hank. I mean, it's kind of baffling and mind-blowing to hear the uh, agency saying that we don't write any good report. I mean, that is, wow. That's it. Well, and there's another really issue, too. And those of, you, those of you on the phone will understand this uh, maybe better than us lawyers. But the agency has a new policy that we're going to be protesting, and the policy says that in counting uh, uh, out-of-service violations, uh, for carriers with high scores, they won't count uh, level two inspections. And level two inspections are the, are the walk-arounds. Now, you know, we've got studies that challenge the agency's conclusion that the out-of-service ratio on walk-arounds is the same as it is on level one and level five. So, in fact, we think that that change of policy is going to throw more carriers into the unfit status in unsafe in uh, um, in vehicle maintenance. Uh, I have a, a buddy who uh, uh, was working through a, an audit with a carrier this past week, and they were going to find him unfit because they said he had a 22% out of service ratio in vehicle maintenance. <coughs> we found out that when they counted the out of service ratio, including the level two all of a sudden he was fit. So there's a whole lot going in into this complex a logarithm 
that really isn't all that pretty for carriers. Uh, and, you know, hopefully most of the people on the call uh, uh, are, are too small to measure. But if you get up in that radar zone where you've got uh, 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 five or six uh, inspections and they decide they want to come uh, examine you because your SMS scores are, are, are high, uh, you may get uh, uh, roughed up more than you used to. And if that happens to you, you definitely need to get in touch uh, with me or somebody who can put you in touch uh, with somebody who knows what it's all about because it is literally mind-boggling to the neophyte to figure out what rules apply and even to get access to the safety manual so you can check their math. Wow. Well, that's, uh, man, that's, that's, I don't know that's why. That's a happy, I'm kind of lost, lost for words on that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> and, and but, yeah, anyway, so uh, we, we don't. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I didn't, that, that's fine. That's fine. I was just going to say if we didn't have any more questions, uh, I don't mean to be Debbie Downer about the FMCSA. Uh, hopefully there's still going to be a future for small trucking. Uh, I, I had hoped that uh, we were going to be by this time saying that everybody had uh, more freight than they did trucks. But, uh, you know, if you don't think we've got a tepid economy, look at the uh, look at the ton miles. Uh, I think it's uh, I, I think that there are shippers who are uh, looking to 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 gouge rates and 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 try to take a high-handed approach. Uh, I'm seeing it. I'm doing a, a webinar next month with some shipper lawyers, and I can promise you it will be contentious. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's the stuff that I'm getting back and stuff that I'm hearing is more and more shippers are are being more uh, heavy-handed on on their end of the table as far as uh, negotiating with the rates. Uh, they're really trying. They're really trying to press and keep the rates down. Uh, but you know. We are trying to do good business out here, and we have to make sure that us small guys, you know, we try to educate as much as we can on this end to try to, try to make sure that uh, we're getting a decent, profitable uh, wage. I mean, you want to be fair. We want to be fair, but, uh, but, but you know, just make sure that you're getting a good, decent, profitable wage yeah. to keep in, I mean, to be able know, to maintain you, your well, equipment and stay in business. Yeah, one would think that uh, the declining price of fuel and the dropping of the fuel surcharge uh, would, for anybody who was trying to project their transportation spend, uh, give them the uh, the cushion they need to say that there was a net savings on on transportation. But you know, it really gets kind of piggy when, then, in addition to fuel surcharge, they uh, uh, want to use uh, interim economics to drive down the pricing on. Uh, on uh, on on spot market loads, uh, you know they, they they it's not certainly not being a decent logistics partner. One thing I'm also finding is there is a provision in contracts called a most favored nation clause, and it will say that you'll guarantee this rate for two years, but if somebody comes in with a lower rate, you got to meet it or lose the business. Uh, now who said that's fair? You know. But it, it typically shows up in contracts. <laughs> wow. In fact, I'm doing a I'm doing a, a presentation for a client next week to their sales department <coughs> to tell them how to modify contracts, and that's one of the things I I'm I'm telling them is to beware of that most favored nations clause. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, that definitely gives us something to. Uh... Put in our pipe and smoke over for the next couple of weeks till we get you back on, ain't? I tell you, uh, that that's a, that was a lot, uh, a lot that was said there, and uh, hopefully, you know, everybody maybe uh, was taking notes on that thing and, and make sure that, uh, you know, you got something to to make sure that you're studying, that you're not getting caught up in some of these snares and everything. And so, another thing, you know, we just have to just try to uh, keep our head down and, and stay up, stay off, off, off of the radar so to speak, especially with the, when it comes to those inspections. Uh, it, it's worth the investment to, to not to not be dealing with the uh, 
you know, if you can afford to get you a pre-pass or whatever, I, as an independent, I definitely recommend it because the less I have to deal with those guys, the better. Uh, and, you know, just don't want to give them a stick to beat you with. So um, Yeah, and I mean, you know, people, that, small guys are looking to things like Big Road to, to avoid the paper logs because that really helps. And, you know, they're looking to, uh, uh, as technology costs uh, fall, and the agency tends to focus on the people who don't have the technology. Uh, you know, it may be a, it may be an investment that small guys can consider, even though it's not mandated yet. Maybe may not be a bad idea. Right, right. Well, Hank, we definitely appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come on and and, and share it and impart a little bit of knowledge to us, us small guys over here to, to, to kind of help us get our stuff together and make sure that we have a little bit of, to, to try and balance the scales a little bit to put us on a, on an equal playing field with some of our bigger counterparts and, and things that uh, we may or may not be aware of and giving us some additional insight into those things. So we definitely appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule sure. to do glad, that. Glad, and ladies, and glad ladies to and, do it. I'm sorry? I said I'm glad to do it. Yes, sir. And ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to uh, learn more or pick up more information from Hank, his website is www.transportationlaw.net. You can go check transportationlaw.net. There are tons of interesting articles there that uh, some of the stuff we touched on tonight and many, many things that we didn't. There are different articles. Uh, uh, there, there are even some videos and different things of that nature on there, PowerPoint presentations that you can avail yourself to if, if you like that kind of stuff, if you got some downtime, definitely worth the check. Keep it in your uh, Internet favorites. And we definitely want to uh, remind everyone of the recording schedule for the audio road. Uh, of course, Kevin and Lisa Rutherford, the show, um, their show records every Monday through Wednesday from 1 p.m. You have the call-in number. is 347-884-8327. And, of course, every Tuesday we have Trucking with Authority with Kenny Long. Every Wednesday it's myself, Rico Muhammad, Rachel Lanes. And, of course, Wednesday at 1 p.m., Kim Cochran, Destination Health, comes on. And on Sundays we have Kevin and Mike Beckett with Rolling Toll Sunday, Sunday evenings at 9 p.m. So we want to thank everyone again for your uh, time out of your busy schedule. You guys be safe out there. Be careful. And we'll talk to you same time, same place next week. Good night, everybody. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-PUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.